We are continuing our series in the book of Philippians. And once again, if you're here for the first time, um, we encourage you to go online and you can track uh, the entire book to where we are today. So uh, it'll bring you up to speed. And we're excited about teaching the Bible. We believe it's it's authentic, it's reliable, it's trustworthy. You can base your life on it. And um, that's why we teach it here, because we've seen life transformation over and over and over again. Many of you here today watching online, you've experienced the power of Jesus Christ um, in that process. So a heads up in your on, on the church webpage, you're going to find that the men have a new life group beginning June 7th. It is uh, Tony Evans' new series, uh, Kingdom in Rising. Last couple of weeks, I've been reading through his book. And as you know, Tony Pastor's down in the Dallas, Texas area. He's done it for, for many years. Uh, a, great, a great man. You can, re, you can trust him. He's been, he's been in the fight so to speak, spiritually for a long time, and he's got a track record. So um, in his new book, Kingdom in Rising, he wrote, A kingdom man is the kind of man that when his feet hit the floor each morning, the devil says, oh, no, he's up. Good point. It's a good point. Tony says, when I first wrote that line to open my book, Kingdom Man, nearly 10 years ago, I had no idea how deeply that statement would be put to the test and living it out on a personal level. Nearly 10 years ago, uh, in writing that, he, he um, was convicted uh, of that matter, and he said on that New Year's Eve 2019, I was scheduled to preach like I always do on New Year's Eve. But this night on New Year's Eve was different from all the others. Typically, the service rings in with great music, laughter, fun. Um, there's always a countdown around midnight to celebrate that new year coming. But he said, this night was different from the past. This one stared me right in the face, and it dared me to stay down. I had lain in bed for pretty much the better part of that entire day, as well as the previous one. All the lights had been turned out. The curtains were closed. And I pulled the covers up to my chin. And there was an empty stare on my face because of an empty ache on the inside. From time to time, my kids would come into the bedroom and check on me and see if I was doing okay and if I needed anything. I did not. They asked me if I had got any sleep. I had not. They reminded me that I needed to try. I disagreed. Because all I needed right then was my wife. But Lois had gone to be with the Lord just the morning before. She had asked me to let her go weeks earlier, since she could tell that her time of living on this earth was coming to an end. And I sat by her bedside, and I told her I could not let her go. But a few more weeks of witnessing her suffer, I relented. I surrendered. I told my bride of almost 50 years that I would let her go this time. I told her she could go to be with Jesus, whom she loved so much. You see, weeks earlier, Lois had called our family together. And she said, you do know what this is all about, don't you? The family listened intently to what 
she was about to say. This is spiritual warfare. We have already lost six close family members over the last year and a half. The enemy is attacking us. We must be doing something right because the enemy is taking notice of our family. God is allowing these things to happen. So remember this. When warfare comes against the Evans family, we do not tuck our tails and run. No, we prepare to fight. Her words were echoing loudly in my heart, Tony said. And she continued, If you are called to preach, you preach. If you are called to write, you write. If you are called to sing, you sing. If you are called to lead a Bible study, you lead it. And Tony said, as you can see, I really didn't have much of a choice that New Year's Eve. I had to go preach. Lois would have it no other way. And so I showed up. Because the first thing to do when you need to man up is to show up. Our people at church needed to see someone taking God seriously. When all hope was gone. They needed a witness of what it looks like to honor God even when life hurts the worst it ever has. And I knew, Tony says, that showing up helped our church family to know their prayers had made a difference. I was still trusting God in the midst of this deep pain that I was experiencing. I hope that sharing this reality with those I shepherd might encourage them also to keep going when life gets tough. I wanted them to see that basing their decisions on the will of God as the dominant force in their thoughts is simply how we are to live as his followers. So in the dark room, with the curtains drawn, on that cold, lonely New Year's Eve, my feet hit the floor firmly. I stood, and I'm sure the devil said, oh no, he's up. Awakening our biblical manhood requires the commitment and the discipline to honor God in all we do. We are continuing in the book of Philippians, as I mentioned earlier, going to chapter 2. Or we're, today we're going to be camping out on two verses, verse 12 and 13. So let's go there. We're going to read it and apply it to our personal lives. So are you ready? You got your Bibles, you got your, uh, your smartphones, you can pull it up on YouTube, uh, version. YouTube, no, you don't want to do that. Not yet anyway. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, where is he? He's, in, he's under house arrest in Rome, 800 miles away. Hasn't seen this church in 10 years. So he said, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Man, we could stop right there. Throw our right hand into the air and say, man, that's so good. Right? That's the Bible, man. And it's applicable for your life and my life this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to read your word. Lord, we don't want to just read it. We want to apply it to our lives. We're so grateful that you give us that opportunity. Thank you today, Lord, for 
these young people that have already stood and declared your word publicly. How cool that is. And so, Lord, as we read your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us. Let us know maybe areas that we need to tweak because we want to become more like you. We thank you for that privilege in Jesus' name. Amen. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, in these next two verses, we're going to need to work out what God has been working out in each one of our lives. We'll find that we're going to dig into that in just a few moments. Some of you may know that in the United States, there are over 30,000 health clubs or gyms. And we could say, man, that's a lot, right? And then the question is, how many Americans go to those clubs and work out? Well, the answer is roughly 58 million go to the gym and exercise. But here's the deal. 80% of those who join health clubs will quit within five months. They have good intentions, but good intentions don't go to the gym. All right? Why do 80% of those who join health clubs quit? There's a simple answer. Because it's hard. Right? It's very hard. It takes discipline to keep it up day after day, week after week, year after year. Somebody said may, my first workout at the gym was great. I did 15 minutes of cardio, 10 minutes of on the defibrillator, and then three days in the hospital. <laughs> Somebody else said, when I feel the urge to exercise, I lie down until the feeling passes. Uh, that's pretty common, right? It is, it is, it is. The truth is, friends, that we cannot be passive in spiritual matters. We need to be intentional. And Christianity is more than a decision to make Jesus our personal Savior. It's a determination to walk with him day after day, year after year. I realize that, and I tell couples that are thinking about getting married, that I have, I have no control over my wife. Um, <laughs> now, if we just let that go, um, that could be problematic. Um, I have no control over my wife loving me, but I have control over loving my wife. And I've realized over time that I need to make a decision one day at a time that today I'm going to love her to the full. I, I have that control. And with God's help, he helps make that happen. Because we see in marriage in America today where individuals would just go off the rails that, you know, they make the promise until death do us part, but because Challenges may come and the feelings may flee away. And they figure, well, God wants me happy, so I'm going to go somewhere else in the process. Sometimes we, you know, we don't have control over our spouse and the decisions that they make. And just like in a marriage that's healthy, it's the husband and wife that make that commitment. I'm going to love you today and for the rest of my life. It's the same thing in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
There are times when feelings may come and go in your walk with him, but it doesn't mean that God has taken off and forgotten about you. Quite the contrary. That's where faith comes in. And so I purpose as an individual that I'm going to live for Jesus Christ one day at a time until my last breath on this planet. That's the kind of commitment that Paul is talking about here in Philippians 2. Spiritually, we need to exercise daily because God is at work in each one of us who have put our faith in him. It doesn't mean that we can just hang out with God, kind of let go and let God, you know, that's the wrong mindset. You are not going to flourish spiritually if that's how you live your life. Good intentions are not good enough. Oswald Chambers, uh, pastor from years ago, put it this way, beware of the danger of spiritual relaxation. And I can tell you, friend, that that's a challenge in my life. That little voice in the back of my head, always tapping me, always trying to encourage me to chill when it comes to spiritual matters in my life. But that's not going to make it. We're not going to flourish the way God wants to use each one of us if we just put it on cruise control. So Paul brings us uh, back to how we should live our lives after spinning a few verses on the greatness of, of Jesus Christ. And um, just a, a summary from a couple weeks ago that God elevated him to the place of highest honor, gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Paul now goes back to the importance of how we, followers of Jesus Christ, should live our lives on a daily basis. So number one in your notes, always follow. Always follow. Verse 12a, dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Those words, dear friends, they are pretty cool. Because in the original language, it meant beloved. You are my beloved. You are worthy of my love. Paul calls them dear friends. Now think about this. He's been away from them for 10 years already. And he's saying because he's absent, he's been away for 10 years, that is not reason for the church not to flourish spiritually. And he's requesting that they continue to follow after Jesus in their obedience to him. Just like Jesus obeyed the Father, so believers ought to obey Jesus. We too have to be careful on what we believe, how we live, especially on our own. You know, during the week when we're away from the church family, we need to be intentional about becoming self-feeders. In other words, we, we can feed ourselves. We can read the Bible for ourselves and apply it to our lives. We have the, the tools around us during the week that we can grow and we can flourish 
spiritually. So it's not coming to church on a Sunday, listening to somebody talk, and then we put our Bibles away for a week and we come back the following Sunday. Listen, you're not going to flourish spiritually. You're not going to mature in your walk with Jesus Christ if that's the case. Paul says, dear friends, you always followed my instruction when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it's even more important. That word follow in the Greek is the same word that Paul used in Ephesians 6.1 when he told children, obey your parents. So follow and obey are synonymous. He said, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. So just as your children, amen, that happens all the time in your home, they say, yes, dad, yes, mom, I want to obey. Whatever you want me to do, I'm all, I'm all in for it, man. Well, we know that doesn't always happen, right? It, it doesn't. It doesn't always happen. That's why Paul is saying, children, obey your parents. It's the right thing to do. Paul is using that same word that we need to follow, we need to obey Jesus Christ on a consistent basis. The message puts it this way. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you shouldn't simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. And now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. So here's the test for spiritual maturity. How do you live your life? What are the choices that you make on a consistent basis when you're away from spiritual influence from others? That's what Paul is kind of wondering. Our spiritual maturity means we can thrive even if we have no other follower of Christ around us. That we know how to dig in that relationship with Jesus and keep it thriving. Paul is saying, make Jesus your standard. He's your model. Number two, work hard. Verse 12b, work hard to show the results of your salvation. And listen, man, if you grew up in the church, this sounds a little off, quite honestly. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. So here's the thing. You want to circle that word results because that's the key. Paul is saying you don't work for your salvation. You don't work toward your salvation. You don't even work at your salvation. But we're to work hard to show the results of our salvation. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he comes in and he changes us. Those are the results. I had nothing to do with that. Jesus went to the cross. He died for my sin and your sin. And in exchange, when we put our faith in him, he takes those sins and puts his righteousness in there. I had nothing to do with that. And so Paul is saying you work, you work hard to show the results of your salvation. What Jesus is doing in you Hey, let him work it through you, and may it be to the honor of God the Father. A lot of times, people may, the question's asked, are you going to heaven? And they'll say, you know, I'm trying. I hope so. <laughs> I'm working at it. Listen, if you're working at it, you're not going to make it. Because you, you can't work hard enough to make it to heaven. Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take any credit for it. 
You can't pat yourself on the back. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. We can't boast about it, but we can boast that it's all because of Jesus. That word, heart, that word work means to maintain constant energy, effort to finish a task, work to full completion, work fully to the point of finishing the job. That word work hard in the Greek is a word that the Romans used for working a mine. And so that word picture is you, you own a mine and you're going to get every valuable stone out of that mine. That's your goal. So let's say you and I own a silver mine. Is that, are you going to go to the mine on Monday morning, sit in your car, turn the radio on, and all the silver is going to march out of that mine onto those railroad cars? Is that going to happen? No. It's not. You've got to go into the mine and physically start chipping away. That mine is yours. You bought it. But in order to get the price out of that, that silver, you've got to go in and chip it and bring it out and put it on the market. That's what the Romans, the imagery they were talking about. Also, it referred to the farmers. And we all know that farmers work hard. They've got to plant the seed. They've got to cultivate the soil. They've got to water the seed. And then when the harvest comes, they've got to go out into the fields and harvest that crop. They just can't sit in their tractor with the radio playing and see the corn come in off the cob, man. You know? All right, corn, come on in, man. You know? No. It's not going to happen. The corn's not going to listen to them. So they have to physically get involved in the whole process of that harvest. That's the word that Paul is talking about, that God has saved us. He's done everything. But he's saying we need to work hard at those results that he's done inside of us. Let it overflow. Let it come out of us so people can see the great changes that God's doing in each one of us. Paul is saying don't go halfway. Don't let God work for so long. And then you say, you know what, I think I've done it. You know, I'm spiritual enough. I think God's done with me. Paul is saying, don't do it. Don't be satisfied with those partial benefits. There's a halfway house in one of the mountains in the Alps that it's popular for the climbers. When they get halfway up, there's a rest house. For amateurs, it's a good day's climb to, from the base to the top. And if they start out early in the morning, they get to that rest house around lunchtime. And the owner of that rest house has made observations over the years. He's noticed the phenomenon that happens on a regular basis. Those climbers, when they get to the house and they feel the warmth of that fire at the fireplace and they smell that good food cooking, several give in to the temptation and say, you know what, guys, you can go up to the rest of the mountain. I'm going to stay here and chill. It's so cozy here, you know. And it happens over and over again. And so there's kind of a glaze of satisfaction on these climbers. They figure, I'm, a, I'm halfway. I'm good with that. Uh, I don't need to get up to, to the summit. In the meantime, the rest of the climbers get, get dressed. They put their gear on, and they work themselves up to the top. And, and there's a, really a great celebratory atmosphere during the next couple hours 
with those with the climbers that have stayed behind. You know, they they play the piano. They they sing about mountain climbing songs. They're eating good food. But about three thirty in the afternoon, they start looking out the window and they realize, you know what, man, I I, I wish I would have gone with those other people to make it to the summit, man. You know, that was my goal. And I, and I gave up halfway. And you know what? That happens so often to people spiritually. They put their faith in Christ. They go for so long and then they put it on cruise control and they wonder why Christianity is so boring. They, don't, they can't figure out why God isn't using them. And so we have the responsibility to keep things rolling in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, Paul puts it this way, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. That word death means mortify. It means to annihilate. So Jesus comes and he lives within us. But Paul is saying we have the responsibility to put to death those temptations that come our way. If we keep giving in to temptation, we're not going to walk in victory. We're not going to thrive spiritually. And because God is working in us and living in us, he gives us the power to say no to temptation. That's the cool thing. And when you start living your life saying no to temptation and yes to God, walking in victory, let me tell you something, man. Those are exciting moments. And that's what God wants to accomplish in each one of us. So, Shane Hammond, the world's strongest man. That's what he was called in 2000, 2004. He participated in the Summer Olympics. His training weight was 350 pounds. His chest was 62 inches. His biceps, 24 inches. Two feet of bicep. I mean, that's pretty impressive. He could squat 1,008 pounds. That's pretty good. But Shane is also a believer in Jesus Christ. He was raised in a Christian home in Oklahoma on a farm. And this is what he said. When I was a kid, my parents, strong Christians, drugged me to church. They made me go to church even when I didn't want to. Does that happen in your house? <laughs> Today, I'm glad they did. They worked real hard to get the right things put into me. When it wasn't the weekend, I grew up lifting melons on the farm. You see, his family grew melons. And so Shane learned, you know, picking up those melons physically, that was like lifting weights, man. And so he said, eight hours a day, I worked in the fields. And then after working, I went to the gym two and a half hours every day. So that comes out to a 10 and a half hour workout every single day. Shane worked it out in his training, you see? So those melons, the family owned the farm, you know, they put that seed in the ground, but they had to go out and physically harvest those melons. Shane paid a price, and we see that that's part of working hard. But you're not working hard all by yourself. We'll get into that in a moment. Number three, not me, but we. Verse 12c, to show the results of your salvation. When you look at that word, your, you can take it on a personal level. But in the Greek, it's not personal. It's plural pronoun. In other words, what Paul is saying is, 
Paul wants the Christian community to work together to work hard so that their faith grows in Christ. It's not a one-man team. It's like when we come together on Sunday mornings, man, we come together as a team and we encourage each other and we, we, we root for each other, man. You can do this. When we're all by ourselves, it's easy to become discouraged. And Paul is saying, listen, this is not just about you. This is about the church, plural. So as a church, we have that responsibility to show the results of your salvation. We're in this together. Second Corinthians 6.3, Paul is talking about since we're saved, we must model the character of Christ as believers, as Life Church, we have a responsibility of modeling the character of Christ to those around us. It says, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us and no one will find fault with our ministry. That's a responsibility, and that's what Paul is talking about to show the results of your salvation. Are you living your life today? so that nobody's going to stumble spiritually. We're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about modeling the character of Christ as Christ lives in and through us. What a privilege that is to live my life in such a way so nobody stumbles along the way. I don't turn somebody away from Christ because I'm a hypocrite. And so there we have that responsibility. Tony Evans, when he was going through that grieving process after losing his wife, it wasn't just about him. Remember, he talked about the importance of being an example to the people at church. Why? Because we're all in this together. Number four, obey. Do I have to? (laughs) Man, do I have to obey? Well, (laughs) Paul is saying, listen, man, you don't have to obey. You should want to obey. It's a big difference. Sometimes we have to push the envelope with our children and say, man, you have to obey. I'm the dad, you're the kid, right? So they do obey. But how much easier is when a child says, I'm going to obey, man. I love my dad. I love my mom. I'm in this for the, for the long haul. They love me. I love them. I'm going to obey. So Paul is saying, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So it's not do I have to. It should be I want to. I want to obey God because I know how much he loves me. Pastor Mark Batterson serves in Washington, D.C. He wrote this, the gospel costs nothing. You cannot buy it or earn it. It can only be received as a free gift. Compliments of God's grace. So it costs nothing, but it demands everything. And that is where most of us get stuck. The spiritual no man's land. We're too Christian to enjoy sin, and we're too sinful to enjoy Christ. We've got just enough Jesus to be informed, but not enough to be transformed. Is that how it is in your life? You know, just going halfway with with Christ, a little, a foot in with the world and a foot in with Jesus. Listen, that's not fun. Really, it's not fun. And Paul recognized that. And so um, 
When Paul writes this deep reverence and fear, it's not talking about, you know, like we're trembling in the very presence of God, but there's a respect and a reverence for God, for who he is. In 1830 in London, England, there was a little 11-year-old girl who was being tutored, and the lesson on that day was learning about the royal family. They brought out the genealogical records of the royal family, and they started going through the list of names, and the little girl started recognizing some of those names. She said, I know who that is. Yeah, I'm, re I'm related to that person. Oh, yeah, that's my grandfather. And as time went on, she noticed that they began to point out her name, which was Victoria. It was little Victoria who would become Queen Victoria one day. And suddenly it dawned on little Victoria why they were teaching her about the genealogical uh, line of her family, because she was next in line to be queen of England. And when that weight, that responsibility, you know, she realized, man, I'm next in line, she got up and with this shy sincerity said, I will be good. I will be good. Now, there's something about knowing your future, where she stepped up, you know, I'm going to live at a higher level because I'm going to be queen one day. That's the idea of this verse that Paul's writing about, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. And because we know our future, one day we're going to stand before God. Man, what a privilege that's going to be. I want to live for him in an honorable way. Don't you? Yeah. And finally, number five, God working in me to please him. Verse 13, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That word working, so it's interesting, this word work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now look at verse 13. It's not just you, you know, trying to work it up. Come on, you know. Where you're talking to yourself? No. Verse 13 gives us how we work hard. It's God working in you. God's working in you. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And it means active and efficient effort. Energizes, providing enablement. That's where we get our English word energy. It's God's power, resident power. When we put our faith in him... God is working in you and me. That's how we're allowed and we're able to live for him on a consistent basis. That's how we're to grow spiritually and thrive in our relationship with him. God's not going to say, hey, man, once you put your faith in me, good luck. I hope you make it. <laughs> yeah, I hope you make it. No, 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 no. It's God working in you. You know, when you go to major airports, they have these moving sidewalks. And you'll notice um, some people with their luggage, they'll hop on that moving sidewalk and they'll walk. But if they're in a hurry, they'll run on those walking sidewalks. So if you ever take a look at the guts of a moving sidewalk, man, there's a lot of motors. There's a lot of mechanics underneath that sidewalk that's allowing to push you faster than if you were walking all by yourself. Now, some people choose not to. They don't want to walk that fast. 
And some people don't want to run that fast, so they just walk their normal speed. But how cool is it to get on one of those moving sidewalks and you accelerate from being here to there very quickly? That's what God is doing. God is kind of like that moving sidewalk, and he's giving you and I the opportunity. Hey, man, come on. God is saying, get on that moving sidewalk. I'm helping you. I'm giving you the the strength and the ability to walk in holiness and godliness. You don't have to do this on your own. So we have that privilege. Notice it's God changes our want to. It's, It's God working in you, giving you the desire. See, he's giving you the desire. I want to do this. I want to live for Christ. And he does the power and the power to do what pleases him. Think about it. God gives you the power to please him. Isn't that an incredible thing when you put your head on the pillow at night to know that you pleased God today because God was the one giving you the power to do that? How cool is that? So let God work in you. Let God work in you. Give him permission. Open up the corridors of your life and say, God, I'm not going to hold anything back. You can have every part of it. And so D.L. Moody put it this way. We are told to let your light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. Lighthouses don't fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. Right? We don't, so we don't have to shoot cannons. Hey, man, look at me. We just simply shine because Christ is living inside of us. Man, that's cool. And we thank the Lord for that opportunity. Odessa Moore visited a juvenile jail where uh, she met a teenager who was being tried as an adult for first-degree murder. She was a follower of Christ. And sometimes she questioned her abilities to to serve Jesus. But she said, you know what? I know God is working in me, and I I just sense this is what God wants me to do. So I'm going to say yes to God. So she goes into this juvenile jail, and she meets this young man. Looking at his face, she said, his eyes chilled me because they were so filled with hate and anger. He said, I don't care about anything, and I don't feel any shame for what I've done. Odessa hung around. She wasn't intimidated by this young man. And so she listened to him as he said, yeah, my dad was a drug user. My mom was an alcoholic. Both my parents were abusive. They would beat me and they would tie me up and throw me into a closet for hours at a time. All my life, he said, I was told I was nothing. I was worthless. Nobody cared about him. But that was all right. He was good with that. So Odessa said, you know, there is somebody who loves you. No way, he said. That can't be possible. Well, you're in here for murder, right, said Odessa. Yeah, yeah. And I'd do it again, he said. Odessa said, how would you like it if somebody came in here and said, I know you committed the murder, and they're going to give you the death penalty, but I'm going I'm to take your place for you. How would you like that, she asked him. <laughs> well, for the first time, this young man kind of had a sparkle in his eye. He says, you're kidding me. That would be pretty cool. Well, Odessa told a young man about Jesus, the prisoner who would take his place, who had already paid his price of sin for his wrongdoing. And using word pictures 
to this young man where he could understand because he'd never heard about Jesus before. She walked him through the steps to a growing understanding of sin, repentance, forgiveness, and freedom in Christ. And after investing in this young man, this stone-cold teenager melted. And it was there in that prison cell with Odessa leading him. He put his faith in Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Because a woman believed that God was working in her. Isn't that cool? God wants to work in you. He wants to work in me. Because when that happens, we thrive. And God gets the honor because of it. So, Lord, thank you this morning for the privilege we've had to learn about our walk with you. And we thank you, Lord, that you don't want us to go halfway, a quarter of the way. You want us to keep going until our last breath on earth in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you don't, put, you don't uh, leave us all alone on that, but, Lord, you're working in us. You're giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases you. And so this morning, Lord, I just pray for every person watching online and those in this building that we would pause and reflect, is my life flourishing spiritually? Have I put it on pause? Have I put it on cruise control for this past month, year? Is my relationship with the Lord grown cold? I pray, Lord, that today, today would be that tipping point where they reignite that commitment and following after you. As you, Lord, work in each one of us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.